captives and captive friends, and welcome to episode 52 of the Global Captive Podcast, supported by legacy specialists R&Q and hosted by me, Richard Kutcher. If you are new to the podcast and want to discover more of our extensive back catalogue, then the best way to catch up and be notified every time a new episode is released is to subscribe on any podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, CastBox. You can even ask Alexa to play the Global Captive podcast and she will do so. Just hit subscribe or follow on your app of choice and every new episode will be downloaded straight to your device. But let's get on with GCP 52 then. And this episode is going to be primarily focused on the cannabis industry. And that is developing at different paces all around the world. Of course, dependent on the local legal landscape. We've not addressed this topic in any great detail on the pod since 2019, but we have three guests lined up over the next 30 minutes or so that should give us a pretty wide view of some of the risk and insurance challenges that captives are really starting to address for these fast-growing business across all different verticals of the sector. In the second half of the episode, we will hear from Rocco Petrilli, chairman of the National Cannabis Risk Management Association, which, which formed an association captive for its members in 2020. And shortly, we'll also be hearing and being joined by Josh Hamlin, chief legal officer at DNA Genetics. Josh will tell us all about DNA Genetics in our interview, but they formed a pure captive in Bermuda earlier this year. First, however, I should introduce our guest co-host for the episode and a longtime friend of mine, despite his football allegiances in South East London. Uh, and that is Mike Parrish, Senior Vice President and Client Services Leader at Marsh Management Services Bermuda. Mike, welcome onto the pod. Hi, Richard. Thank you very much for inviting me. Looking forward to it. Yeah, really, really good to have you on. We've talked about it for a couple of years now, really. Uh, so it's, even if I can't be with you to record it in person in Bermuda, I'm glad to, to have you on the pod. Um, there's been a lot of noise, uh, particularly coming out of the US market for at least five years now, that captives should be the kind of silver bullet solution for these cannabis companies that really struggle so badly to get insurance coverage in the commercial market. It does look like captives are still starting to be formed However, by the sector, and, and Bermuda is a big part of that, which we'll come on to, but perhaps a good place to start, Mike, would be, could you explain for us why insurance is, is really such a big challenge for these companies involved in the legal cannabis industry? Yeah, certainly. The legal cannabis industry is, um, is obviously quite a new industry. Um, and my, my long experience in the, uh, in the insurance industry tells me that um, insurance works very well. Let's face it, it's been, it's been around for a few hundred years and, and it works well, but it doesn't work that well for new things. And this was brought home to me pretty early on in my, uh, in my career in risk management, actually, when I was, uh, when I was risk manager of a large uh, mining construction project in Western Australia. And we were, um, we were preparing ourselves for our market presentations to market our contract works and delay and startup cover, without which the project would not go ahead. So it was a fairly big deal. Myself and the, and the broker were prepping the various members of the project team that were going to be joining us on the presentation. And we had a guy there who was an engineer, um, and he was talking about our large mine process plant equipment. Um, and being an engineer, he was all very technical, and he was getting quite excited. And he was talking about our, um, our, our grinding mills 
which were a key part of the process and were very big. Um, and he was saying that these were the largest grinding mills of this type ever seen on, on a mining project. And I could see the broker was getting slightly nervous at this. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and he then dropped in the P word. Um, and he said, well, these, these mills are prototypes. Um, and and you know, I thought the broker was going to choke in his flat white at that point and, <laughs> and said, you know, do not ever say that. Um, you know, do not say to an insurance company that something is a prototype because it suggests that it is new and untested technology. And the engineer said, well, this is an untested technology. It's, you know, it's what's been driving, you know, mills on, on mine sites for the last 50 years. It's just that this is very much larger than anything that's been seen before. And the broker said, that's fine. Just say that. <laughs> just <Yeah>. say <laughs> it's the same. We know it works. It's just a bit bigger, um, which you did say, and it was all fine. We kind of don't have the the, the benefit of, uh, of being able to do that with the cannabis industry. To a degree, it is prototypical. We haven't really seen anything like this before. And insurance being such a data-driven industry, you know, they don't have a lot of data about uh, some of the things that the industry is uh, is doing. So obviously, um, uh, the industry is a little bit nervous uh, and, and in a challenging market environment like this, a, a nervous industry means that, uh, that companies are going to struggle to, to find the coverage that they need at the price they need. And, you know, for, for many years, we've, we've been telling people if that happens, they should be looking at, at captives and other self-insurance uh, mechanisms. And, and, and that seems to be, to be borne out by, by fact, which I think is, uh, is very good for, for the industry and, and shows that, um, that people are listening to us. Yeah, and as you said, you referenced there obviously a challenging marketplace in insurance, and it was already you know difficult for for companies in the cannabis sector to find uh, the capacity and and you know uh, coverage you know priced uh, appealingly or attractively before uh, these market conditions. So that's only worsened now. Are there specific lines of insurance that are problematic for companies operating in the cannabis sector, or is it, or is this a challenge across all classes? Um, I mean, primarily we're looking at DNO. Um, you know, DNO coverage for for these companies is very difficult to find, particularly at, at levels that, that that may be meaningful for them. So many companies are unable to to buy DNO coverage, and and you know, without having some form of of coverage for DNO or management liabilities, then they're they're really um, not going to be able to operate very well. So, you know, that that is the main driver, I think, without a doubt. We're, we're, the most of the inquiries we're seeing are from uh, companies in this industry that are unable to 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 find DNO coverage anywhere, particularly for side B and side C. Um, but I think that that being said, there are other types of cover in this industry which aren't necessarily unique but 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 are a bit different you know if you look at property for instance which you know sounds sounds pretty straightforward a property risk for for people that are growing things but but if you look at the the nature of the business most of these are very large hydroponic operations so they're not exposed to to sort of normal crop type coverages uh, and exposures such as climate you know lack of rain drought windstorm but but they are facing a you know a potential 
aggregation of uh, of exposure within a within a big shed or a big greenhouse. There's a lot of equipment in there, so that kind of property risk needs to be fully understood by the market as well. And and again, in a fairly challenging market environment, anything that's a little bit different tends to get a lot more scrutiny and 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 you know may not be straightforward and it may not be as easy to buy and and companies may be facing higher levels of retentions, deductibles, things like that, co-insurance to, to buy that coverage. So property is another area where we are seeing people struggling a bit. They're managing to, to get coverage, but um, you know how long that will continue we don't know. And, and there are new and emerging risks facing these companies. Um, one of the major ones that, that we've seen and, and one where I think captives will definitely play a role going forward is in vaping, uh, vaping liability, which again is, is, is completely new and insurers are very nervous about providing coverage for vaping liability to any great degree. So a, any area like that where um, it's a completely new risk um, and uh, the insurance market, if it does uh, participate is only going to participate to a limited extent. You would expect to see companies, maybe a company that's already formed a captive for its DNO cover, would then just bolt on the vaping liability onto that to some degree. So I, I wouldn't say it's completely across the board, but I think we're, we're going to see these companies uh, opening up and and writing a lot more business than just the the, the core coverage that they're putting in um, to, to to establish the company, which would be the DNO coverage. Yeah, it's really interesting that we're seeing these captives being driven by DNO. It kind of makes me think a little bit about we had recently Facebook on the podcast and they formed their captive for employee benefits program reasons and they're going to be adding other lines of insurance subsequently. And and traditionally we've heard you know, EB and DNO being less common lines of insurance to put into a captive, you know, let alone start a captive for it. So it just shows how as captives develop over time, as different types of companies with different types of risk portfolios develop over time, regulatory environments change, the insurance environment changes, captives can be used in all different ways and, and not kind of follow any kind of standard formula. I've noticed, Mike, a few captives owned by cannabis companies being set up in and licensed in Bermuda over the past 18 months or so, and Marsh imagine at least two that I know of, and we'll hear from DNA Genetics uh, about their captives shortly. But why is it that captives are being embraced? You know, once they've once they've come up against this challenge in the commercial market, why is it that captives are the thing they're turning to? The, the main answer to that is that the brokers and the the insurance intermediaries and consultants that they're working with. Um, are obviously well aware of, uh, of the captive industry and are providing it as an alternative um, as and when all other avenues to buy cover fails. I think also you've got to look at the, the way these companies, uh, you know, the way they are and, and how they operate and the kind of mindset that, that that entails. You know, these are very up and at them, go get them types of companies. They're, they're not too bureaucratic in, in my experience. They're not, you know, they're not traditional uh, and, and, you know, a non-traditional company breeds a certain type of mindset that says, well, you know, we have a problem here, you know, let's fix it. Uh, and if somebody comes to them with a solution that says, hey, a way of fixing this problem, i.e. you can't buy DNO insurance is to go and set up a captive in Bermuda, then they want to do it. And there's not you know, there's not too many levels of bureaucracy. We tend to be speaking with the decision makers. Um, and, you know, we found that certainly once we've done the feasibility, um, made sure that it makes economic sense, 
it's a very quick decision. Let's go and do it. And, and I think there is there is a lot of that with with this industry. It's uh, it, it's a new industry with new ideas and with people in it that that are, are more entrepreneurial minded. Um, and I think the, the captive solution just appeals to them. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating as well to see how these captives develop. As, as we've said, they're kind of starting off with DNO, but because these captives are being formed in such the early stage of some of these companies' lives, so to speak, um, it'll be interesting to see how, how they embrace them in different and interesting areas in the future. Um, just lastly on this topic, really, Mike, um, obviously the Bermuda Monetary Authority uh, are comfortable licensing these captives, but are there additional reassurances or, or requirements that need to be met considering the, the nature of this this new type of business for the regulator to be comfortable licensing the captives? I wouldn't say there are additional reassurances and, and I mean, there aren't any additional hurdles that we need to get over. The, the BMA has been very clear um, in, in terms of what, what is allowable and, and what it will grant a license for. And, you know, it's very clear that a licensed insurer or reinsurer in Bermuda can only transact business in, in territories where, the business is federally legal, and that means that that you know the BMA will not license a, a company which is insuring any plant touching risk in the U.S., for instance, because although certain states in the U.S. Um, you know have legalized um, recreational cannabis, it is still illegal uh, at a federal level. And obviously, if you issued an insurance policy there. Uh, and you wanted to pay a claim, then you would uh, potentially fall foul of the Proceeds of Crime Act um, because you're paying money on, on an illegal transaction. Um, and that would obviously, everybody that's involved in that transaction could, could then be subject to, um, to fines and penalties um, under the Proceeds of Crime Act. So, so that, that's not allowed. Um, and clearly, everything that we've, um, that, that, that we've licensed um, is for activities which are legal and uh, they're either entirely within Canada or other places where federally the, the manufacture, growth, sale and use of cannabis is completely legal or where they're operating in, in a territory such as the US, they are operating within the federal law. So, And when we do our business planning, when we have our meetings with the BMA, obviously that's something that we focus on uh, and that's that, that's what they're interested in, in finding out. But, but other than that, you know, in terms of the insurance, how the insurance works, how the business plan works, the other service providers, really, to my mind, uh, it, it's a pretty straightforward process and very much the same as any other company. Yeah. And of course, that that legal situation in the US is is another reason why insurance is so hard to come by for for companies in this in this industry because it's a complicated complicated by state versus federal insurance is state regulated uh, banking is federally regulated so that adds a layer of complexity which these companies have to tough to have to hurdle in their operations and in and in their insurance procurement uh, and we have spoke about that on the podcast previously with with skip myers of morris manning and martin well, Mike, uh, we're going to come back to you shortly, but we have mentioned DNA genetics a couple of times already. So let's hear the story direct from them. Mike and I were joined by Josh Hamlin, Chief Legal Officer at the company. And Josh began by giving us some background on the business's history and their current profile. Our founders, Don and Aaron, uh, were actually born and raised in California. Uh, but when the laws in, in the United States were sort of hanging around and not changing, 
they decided to uproot their lives and, and move to Amsterdam, where at the time it was the only legal cannabis territory in, in the planet. So, so they moved to Amsterdam and started a, a seed company. And essentially what they did was they were developing new genetics, uh, new genetic strains of cannabis um, through breeding and crossbreeding and phenotype selections, and then put those into seed form, uh, where in Amsterdam, people from essentially around the world would fly to Amsterdam to buy seeds. Um, and if you know anything about growers in the industry, once they find genetics that they know are stable and will continuously produce high quality product, um, they sort of marry themselves to those genetics. And so, you know, that sort of planted a flag uh, around the globe as DNA being a, a premier genetics company. Fast forward to about eight years ago when I came on board, we started looking at ways that we could expand that model in a more far-reaching way. And the first sort of way that we did that was with our deal with uh, Canada Growth Corporation, and at the time it was called Tweed up in Canada. And we created a first-of-its-kind genetic licensing deal, a strategic alliance agreement with Canada Growth Corporation, where essentially they would be our partners in Canada. They would grow our genetics. Um, they would produce various products with those genetics, package them, distribute them, and sell them to the market. And as a result of that, we would get a royalty. And so that was our sort of landmark deal. And from there on, we started expanding that deal in other countries, territories, and, and throughout the United States since, providing each of our partners with the genetics that they need that are stable, quality genetics, uh, consulting services to help them produce the best high-quality products, but then also coupling that with the globally recognized brand so that it gives them sort of the cutting edge in the marketplace. And so we've developed that now throughout multiple countries and states and uh, looking to expand even more. We'll come on to in a second the, the, the specific line of insurance which you are using your captive for initially, but perhaps it'd be good to get an idea from you. How big a challenge generally have you found working with the commercial insurance market across lines uh, when addressing your own risk? Because we hear so often that cannabis companies can't find sufficient insurance. So how big a challenge has that been? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a big challenge, right? So the cannabis industry generally, if you look at sort of the fractured nature of just the regulatory authorities across different countries, different states, it presents a very fluid and dynamic uh, issue for, for the industry itself. But then coupling that with the relatively new uh, nature of the industry itself, as more countries and states start legalizing, it makes it a very risky situation. And as a result of that, we found that it's hard to even get any coverage. And then on top of that, if you can get coverage, um, the amount of coverage that you get is severely under what you, what you should have. And then on top of that, you're paying double or quadruple the premiums for that low amount of coverage. Um, so it's extremely challenging. And again, it's, it's no surprise that this would be the case with, with the way that the sort of landscape of the industry currently exists. But, um, but yeah, it's extremely challenging and uh, it's, it's challenging for all companies in this industry. So how then did you come to hear about 
captive insurance as as a possible solution because I, I I think I've said to you before, Josh, that I've been covering this industry for eight years, the captive industry, and and for a long time, for probably the last four or five years, you know, people have said our oh, captives are the ideal solution for cannabis companies, and I think it's only the past couple of years we've really seen that activity. So, how did you come about this as a as a possible solution, and what was the rationale for forming one? Yeah, so in just trying to secure DNO coverage for our company, we were scouring the earth for for underwriters that were able to to write us a policy, and um, we were looking for brokers that could help us with that. Uh, we reached out to a number of colleagues in the industry and speaking with our, our corporate counsel deal in Piper Canada, they suggested we reach out to Marsh. And in talking to Marsh, we, we started talking about what our company is doing, the, the sort of unique business model that we have, and sort of Marsh taking a hard look at that and saying, you know, I think this would be a prime candidate for a captive insurance program. And so as we started you know, looking at that, we found that, yeah, the, the uniqueness of our model um, in that, you know, we have third-party partners that are really the ones handling cannabis directly. And we're, we're sort of engaged in these uh, hands-off licensing deals that positioned us to actually go forward with the captive. And it just made more sense. We were able to get the DNO coverage that we needed, which is, as I said before, very challenging but also do it for far less money and, and be secure knowing that we're actually getting the policy that we need. So the captive was licensed in Bermuda earlier this year. What are, You mentioned DNOVA. So is, is DNOVA the sole line of insurance that will be going through the captive? Yeah, right now, uh, DNO is, is the sole line of insurance. Um, you know, I suspect, as we were sort of talking about before, you know, as this industry grows, as this company grows, there will be, you know, other lines of insurance that we will certainly be exploring. Um, you know, I mean, as new products are developed and new innovations form, you know, I suspect that this industry is, <laughs> is going to be, you know, faced with a lot of risk in the future. Um, as any, you know, new industry uh, that's, that's just sort of in its infancy uh, experiences. So I... I expect that there will be um, new challenges that we're met with and you know, help us a great deal in navigating those treacherous waters, if you will. The Global Captive Podcast is supported by R&Q, the award-winning provider of exit solutions for legacy liabilities and companies in runoff. R&Q can provide a wide range of solutions and has A-rated paper across the United States and Europe. LPTs, novations, business transfers and acquisition are all frequently used and tailored to the seller's requirement whether in runoff or fully active but seeking greater efficiency. If you have legacy, you should talk to R&Q. We will be back with Mike Parrish shortly, but now we are going to hear from Rocco Petrilli, chairman of the National Cannabis Risk Management Association in the United States. Rocco goes on to explain why the NCRMA established an association captive in Nevis in 2020 and what coverage it will be providing. But he begins by explaining the profile of the association and its members.
Sure, Richard. The NCRMA is an acronym for the National Cannabis Risk Management Association. And what it is, is it's the only formal association focused on risk management in the cannabis industry in the Americas. And we we have a pretty good lead on that, having started this association, I'll say officially about three years ago, but really blowing some, some steam into it two years ago. The purpose of uh, the NCRMA is to provide uh, cannabis companies and cannabis members from seed to sale an appropriate access point to what we call our innovatively disruptive risk management platform. And uh, that is one that's focused on only cannabis. How do you support your members on different types of, of risk management initiatives? Our, our method of support, Richard, is, is best stated by our, by our mission statement, which is to make our members better through education, support, and expertise. And we have done that in, in various ways. From an education standpoint, we recognize that the future of cannabis was going to be very tightly tied to effective education because, again, it's not a textbook industry by far. And uh, that people who haven't grown up in cannabis needed to understand cannabis quickly to make the appropriate contributions to, to these companies to make them successful. So we stood up the NCRM Academy, which is a virtual uh, college that offers eight different curricula and upwards of 35 different courses underneath those curricula that address all areas of risk management that are most importantly defined by our members. Uh, Secondly, we have put together a very capable internal staff that has cannabis knowledge and a combination of cannabis risk management and and insurance expertise. And to complement that, because it's impossible really to vertically integrate to the level of expertise that you need to, to cover this whole spectrum of disruptive risk management, we've added a number of service partners. And those are partners who work closely with us to advance uh, the education and consultation aspects of, of our mission statement and provide uh, the level of expertise that, that our members so deserve. So let's get on to the, the captive then, Rocco. And of course, you, you came across my radar when I saw the news about the captive that NCRMA established. What, what prompted the decision to, to set up this captive? Uh, what was the driver for it? And, and what lines of insurance are you providing? Yeah, interesting question. Uh, and I think, uh, Richard, even a more interesting answer is that, uh, you know, we, we didn't set out to, to form an insurance company. I mean, our, our idea was to develop this uh, association, which is, which is a not-for-profit, to really satisfy the risk management needs of cannabis. Because, I mean, we, we come from a whole cross-section of, of disciplines. We have, uh, I mean, our chief risk management officer has grown up in cannabis. His name's Alex Herding. Uh, Tamla McBath is our chief execution officer. She comes from a, a 25 plus year career in, in healthcare risk management. And then me, myself, I, mean, I, I spent the majority of my career as, uh, you know, on the technical and business side of, of automotive components manufacturing, which, which has a very low tolerance for risk and, and a very high level of, of risk management driven by the punitive side, if indeed you find yourself there. And, and we knew that just from our individual experiences in mer- emerging markets, that uh, risk management was going to be necessary to really normalize the whole cannabis industry. 
And what we thought was, once making these services available, that we could align with some existing capacity in the insurance market and uh, come up with the best solution for our members. Because again, we're, we pride ourselves in being a very responsive association. So the, the needs, the majority needs of our members always comes first. And it was obvious from what they were telling us that, that they not only needed better insurance products, but they needed better representation of you know people who had the knowledge and capability to help them choose those insurance products. So we made an entree in, into the existing market and, and we found as we expected that there was a, a severe lack of capacity coming from the fact that banks were out because of the federal criminalization, big insurance was out because of the relationship with the banks, and that the rest of the capacity that existed really didn't have this this risk management interest either. So failing to uh, come up with a solution through collaboration with the existing market, we thought the best step was, was to form a captive and sort of answer two of the needs. Number one, being being able to start to normalize the insurance market and providing our members with the type of sustainable insurance coverages that they would need for the long term. And also because the captive is risk-bearing, adding to the capacity need that was is always necessary. Because as long as demand outweighs supply, it's going to be very difficult to normalize, right? So we have, we have to begin to, to swing that pendulum back in the other direction. And so, so what were the lines of insurance then, which they were initially struggling or, and still struggling to, to get coverage for in the commercial market, which the captive is now trying to address? I mean, cannabis is, is struggling with all lines, but we came out of the blocks with our initial offering under the Tricome brand is an offering to dispensaries and, and dispensaries with associated grows. And, and we're offering GL premise uh, property and, and product liability. Now, again, that, that choice was made because, you know, even the most aggressive of us, of us understand you need to walk before you run. So we were content with the four-walled exposure of dispensaries and felt that it was a, it was a good place to, uh, to cut our teeth on insurance. The NCRMA, for example, I mean, it's, it's academy and its educational and, and consultational portfolio is already expanded all the way up the vertical. So we have the capabilities to take further offerings forward with this education support and expertise. And we plan to do that first by, you know, increasing our limits on the three coverages that I just mentioned so that we can go up the vertical with that and then ultimately adding um, workers' comp and auto. So we expect, you know, nothing's for sure, but we expect that we're going to focus on a risk-bearing uh, relationship with those five products and then uh, answer the needs for other insurance that uh, our members have through some type of an association or collaboration with uh, other insuring bodies. Really, really interesting. It's going to be really fascinating to see how the captive does develop over time and, and the different lines and whether it stays as one captive or you need to add, you know, uh, future uh, extra entities. Just lastly, uh, the ca the association captive is domiciled in Nevis. What brought you to Nevis, and and what kind of considerations did you have when you were looking for a captive domicile? Yeah, just just to comment on what you said previously, uh, Richard. I mean, again, I I've confessed now that I didn't. You know, I didn't grow up in the insurance industry, but a lot yeah. of people that that we're dealing with did, and. Uh, 
you talk about multiple solutions and possibly multiple captives, and and we think all of that is in front of us. And one of the real value, I mean, I'm I'm my myself, I'm my worst critic. One of the big values that I think I bring to the table is I I'm not carrying any uh, introspection from years of insurance with me, so. I can break through some of these paradigms and and go after different solutions. And there's no words more challenging to me than, well, we don't do it that way. Because as soon as I hear that, my nature is to try to find a way to do it that way. So uh, we think that that's that's all working together with the insurance expertise that we do have. And and that's where that's where Nevis came in is that. in our uh, ownership and management ranks, uh, some people that are very attuned with captives and their formation, uh, very simple is they had some previous uh, contacts and, and experience there. And, and we found after looking at what was some of the, you know, really prohibitive landscape of, of trying to do this in the United States, we found that Nevis offered us with the contacts that we have and the experience that, that we had there our most ready solution. Yeah, it certainly seems to me uh, from kind of what I'm seeing, how I'm seeing this quite unique domicile landscape emerge for cannabis companies wanting to set up captives or cannabis groups in your case. It seems to be that there's there's a lot of mixed messages coming out of all kinds of onshore US domiciles um, at the moment, particularly those mm-hmm. really established, experienced captive domiciles. They're not they're not quite ready to really em- embrace it yet. Right. Well, Rocco, it's been a real pleasure to have you onto the Global Captive Podcast. I wish you a lot of luck with the uh, captive development over time, and hopefully we can have you on in a couple of years to, to find out how it's developed further. Richard, I hope I'm here when you come looking for me. <laughs> Take care. Thanks for your time. So welcome back to GCP 52, where I am joined by Mike Parrish from Marsh in Bermuda. Let's take a quick look then at at Bermuda outside of the uh, cannabis captive space. What other types of uh, captive inquiries are are you receiving to the jurisdiction at the moment? Well, really, I would say it's across all industries. Um, I, I wouldn't like to try and pinpoint anything. I think the, um, the the challenging market conditions are across the board. And I would say that uh, from our perspective, what we're seeing is a, a, a microcosm of that. We're, we're seeing inquiries from, you know, anything from manufacturing companies through transportation, inquiries from life and long-term companies. In terms of geographical locations, we're, um, we're seeing mostly from a captive perspective, Canada and LATAM um, are the two yeah. geographic locations where we're seeing most new inquiries from. But I would also say that we are, I mean, we've worked through one upgrade of a license from a class three to the new IIGB, which is the uh, innovative insurer general business category the BMA brought in last year. And we're currently working our way through another one of those. So this IIGB, although, you know, I would say depending on, on what definition you use, whether you would actually define that as a captive or not, um, but we yeah. are, mm-hmm. I think that, that that's an area where the, the BMA's innovation, um, I think, has, uh, has come through. And, and, and I think that that will start to generate more inquiries and we'll see more people using that and using this sandbox idea, companies that are in the, you know, the crypto area, in, um, in blockchain, fintech, um, that want to look at the insurance side of it, maybe are using Bermuda's Digital Asset Business Act 
but are also looking at building a, a, an insurance or reinsurance capability here in, in Bermuda. We'll look at these IIGB and, and look at the sandbox and, and start to use it. So, uh, you know, that that's another area I would say we've seen a few inquiries in and I think that will continue to grow. Yeah, and I think a lot of those errors you've mentioned there are really reflected. As as you probably know, I keep a very close, eagle eye on the new licenses as they're as they're kind of published uh, by the BMA. And it is such a cross section, as you say. Obviously, the cannabis companies that we we keep spotting on there, the crypto companies. We've seen a few of those. We we've had Gemini on the pod in the last twelve months that set up in Bermuda, and and the more traditional sectors, and even a, a redomestication I saw last year of a last of a large fast food chain from Dublin to uh, Bermuda. So lots of growth in, in different areas. Um, one one area we haven't touched upon on the pod yet is the incorporated segregated accounts or ISAC legislation, which has been in place now for 18 months. So I think that's largely similar to the, the PICs or the portfolio insurance companies you have in Cayman and the ICCs we get in Guernsey. Um, in, in what ways are you seeing these structures being used in Bermuda? Taking a step back, it's fair to say that that cells generally, um, and I'm sure it's the same in in the other domiciles, whether it's PCCs or segregated account companies. You know, cell growth is uh, is mirroring the, the the growth in in captives generally. So we are seeing Absolutely. a lot of interest in 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 cells, um, segregated account facilities, um, and and having the the incorporated the ISAC. Option, uh, I think, only only gives another string to our bow. Um, we, we've set up a couple uh, of, of ISACs, and you know, I think very much for for different reasons. Obviously, for those who who aren't aware, you know, a segregated account company, a PCC, has segregation of of users. Each cell is is a separate entity, um, and the assets and liabilities of one cell cannot be transferred over between cells. But the ISAC takes that a stage further and, and, and makes each of the cells a completely separate and distinct legal entity. Um, it has its own board of directors and it, and, and it effectively acts as a, as a captive in its own right. And the idea of, of having each cell um, being completely legally separate does work in some cases. It, it can work if the, if the owners of the facility um, who would have put the core capital in, they absolutely want no cell users to have recourse to the, to the core capital in the event that, that, that there was a legal challenge, um, then it would work. Um, in, in some cases, um, companies want their cell may be to be rated um, and, um, you know, I am best and other rating agencies will not rate a, a cell. They will potentially rate the vehicle as a whole, but each cell cannot be individually rated. If it's a separate company, that's a possibility. I haven't seen that happen yet, but I've heard that that, that could be a, a potential reason for having an ISAC. And also it really it can be beneficial if each of the cells wants to trade with each other in some way. So one cell could be a front for another cell or could reinsure another cell or they could they could share risk between them. They could you know, act in a normal commercial relationship because, again, they are separate legal entities and they can enter into contracts with other separate legal entities, being each different cell. Now, that's very difficult to achieve under a, under a traditional um, PCC or segregated account company model. So, 
there are definite advantages, but but you know it, it, it has to be um, in a situation where those advantages are going to be manifest um, uh, because there are obviously uh, additional costs and additional administrative burden on running these. Um, and, and if those issues that I've just uh, highlighted aren't important to you, then there's no reason why you wouldn't just go on a normal PCC or segregated account company model where there is legal precedent that shows um, that each of the cells is actually going to be um, ring-fenced uh, from, from the other. So I would say the, the ISAC is a great model for, for Bermuda. It took us a while to, to get it, um, and, and I'm pleased that we did, um, and it adds another string to our bow. Uh, and we are talking to people, as I say, we've set a couple up. Um, and whenever we, we have inquiries about setting up a, a segregated account company, you know, this is something else that we talk about. So um, I, I can see it being a good option for, for companies. Um, and it's certainly something that Bermuda needed. Yeah, and that, that's a really good rundown and explanation of the different types of cell companies. And that, that is always needed. We've, we've had quite a lot of episodes recently about different types of cell uses and cell structures. And you're, and you're right that they are really being embraced all around the world at the moment. And, and to your point about the incorporated cell companies, I think it's probably a bit similar. And someone from Guernsey might shout at me, but you know, it's a bit similar to in Guernsey, I think, where there wasn't immediately lots of obvious uses for them. But then in the last five to 10 years, we've seen this kind of boom in pension longevity transfers where an ICC in Guernsey is 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 needed in comparison to a PTC wouldn't do the job. So we start, you start to see those use cases emerge over time. And I'm sure there'll be plenty of interesting ones in, in Bermuda uh, over the coming years. Um, well, that is all we have time for uh, in episode 52 of the Global Captive podcast. I'd like to say thank you to all three of our guests for a very informative introduction to the cannabis and captives topic. I'm sure we'll hear lots more about it in the coming years. Josh Hamlin of DNA Genetics, Rocco Petrilli of the National Cannabis Risk Management Association, and of course, Mike Parrish of Marsh Management Services Bermuda. Mike, thank you very much for coming onto the pod. Well, thank you for having me. It's been uh, it's been a pleasure. And um, look, I hope we can catch up in person sometime soon. Yes, yes, you and me both, Mike. I certainly hope we could do that maybe this year. If not, I'm sure next year. In the meantime, stay safe, stay well, and see you next time, captives.